today on Ag News Daily. Not only um, you know, are they going back on lockdown today, but they're looking at making it legally required um, to receive both doses of, of vaccines and, and things of that nature. And so what does that look like from an economic standpoint? Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Market Monday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined today by Ashton Carr. And Ashton, I don't know about you, but I'm still recuperating a little bit after being gone last week. I am as well, although I had a quick turnaround time for some travel, though, because I got back to Lubbock early Saturday morning and then left Sunday afternoon to come back to Dallas to visit my parents for the holiday. But I will be here for a full week, so I am resting up right now. Good idea, Ashton. I am as well. Got a lot of things to do on my plate this week before we head into the Thanksgiving holiday. But We'll still be bringing folks the podcast here Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and of course, off Thursday and Friday for the holiday shortened week. We'll chat about how that's going to impact markets this week. But Ashton, I wanted to dive into some news here first, because here in the central Iowa location, we are having some pretty cold temperatures to kick off our Thanksgiving week this week. And I thought this was interesting. I was looking at Eric Snodgrass's morning nutrient ag solutions newsletter and he said there's a 60 degree temperature swing in the plains to don't in thanksgiving week 60 degree temperature swing i can't even imagine but anyways as we um look to head into thanksgiving week here there's a lot of cold air across my neck of the woods and heading further east. Your area, though, is still pretty moderately warm with temperatures in the 60s and 70s. That will push up, hopefully, here into my neck of the woods later on in the week, and will hopefully knock out some of those cold temperatures. But for the most part, it sounds like cold temperatures overall heading into Thanksgiving week. So won't be a good time to go out and play uh, like Thanksgiving touch football or anything like that. Well, Delaney, as you know, I'm in a house full of girls, so I don't think football is really on our schedule for the Thanksgiving holiday, but I am very excited to be spending time with family, although I guess we'll have to do all of our activities inside because it's still going to be cold down here as well. But I wanted to share this piece of news today. It made me chuckle a little bit, just the headline, so I'm going to read that as well. The headline reads, the chickens that didn't cross the road in Laredo. So that put a funny image in my head and really wrapped me in here. But this was a pretty serious case here because federal agents uncovered 47 roosters, I should say fighting roosters and hens, and that were trying to cross into the U.S. border at the Laredo port of entry earlier this month. U.S. Customs and Border Protection officers and ag specialists interpreted or intercepted a large clutch of these live poultry that were hidden throughout a vehicle. So those who were involved in this, I believe, got a $500 fine and these 47 birds were turned over to the USDA Veterinary Services. So I just wanted to share that piece of news today because I feel like we don't hear a whole lot about these cases and what really happens to those animals after the fact. That is a good point, Ashton. And I'm going to continue things along here with the livestock front because according to the USDA on Thursday, payments totaled about $270 million to producers that have been impacted, more specifically so-called contract producers, to help offset revenue loss during the pandemic in 2020. 
Previous aid programs were directed at the owners of livestock, but not farmers who produced hogs, poultry, and eggs under contract. But the USDA said that they've adjusted that oversight and have helped to pay out helped to pay out contract producers as well. And Ashton, while we're talking about livestock here, I also wanted to just jump into some fun news as well because uh, I have volunteered or been tricked into whatever way you want to look at it, cooking our Thanksgiving turkey this year. And to be honest, I've never cooked a turkey. So I was working on brining it before we recorded the podcast today. Um, But I thought this was kind of fun because I've got a couple facts here about turkeys, if you might indulge me for a moment. Of course, Delaney. I feel like you always have the fun facts when it comes to the holidays. So I'm excited about this year's. Well, for those of you that are cooking your Thanksgiving dirt, Turkey this year, you'll be, of course, one of millions of Americans that will be serving turkey on Thanksgiving Day. But these are more facts about the turkey itself rather than eating the turkey. But apparently when turkeys get mad, excited or defensive, their heads and necks turn white. Apparently, the more extreme the emotion, the whiter the color on their head becomes. Didn't know that one. Turkeys can see in color, but they don't have phenomenal night vision. They can see about 100 yards ahead of them and have incredibly wild, wide fields of vision. So they're tough to sneak up on, which makes it extremely hard for those of you who hunt turkeys. Uh, Here's an interesting one, Ashton. They can run up to 25 miles per hour and fly short distances at up to 55 miles per hour. So they're pretty fast little buggers. And... A couple other ones here. Turkeys particularly love oak trees, but they'll spend their nights in trees of any kind. I don't know how people put these facts together or how you study a turkey this in-depth to get these uh, pretty in-depth facts too. But final one for you here. Wild turkeys can make 30 different calls or more and adult turkey gobbles attract the ladies ashton so hens uh that's how they pick up their mate is the hens are listening for specific turkey male gobbles so if you are cooking a thanksgiving turkey this year you'll be one of 45 million turkeys that will be eight at thanksgiving dinner this year Well, Delaney, President Joe Biden last week, I think it was on the 19th, pardoned the National Turkey Day turkeys at the White House. I believe this year's turkey, his name was Peanut Butter and his alternate was named Jelly. So they traveled to the White House last week, but got to go back home because he pardoned them. But I uh, just wanted to share this piece of news coming from the National Biodiesel Board, as it has been announced that they are going to change its name to Clean Fuels Alliance America. Greg Anderson, who is a Nebraska farmer himself and NBB governing, governing board member, said that they thought the idea of clean and fuels best represents them. And he added that biodiesel has always been clean and a leader in reducing emissions and particulate matter and renewable diesel and sustainable aviation fuels do the same. He says, then you think about the word alliance and it shows grit and strength and energy and a coming together of a partnership. America is domestically right here in the United States. We're looking forward to that name change and we think it really represents us well. So they're going under a rebranding of sorts. It seems like a trend here, people going under a a rebranding of sorts. So National Biodiesel Board is just one of them. 
Well, that is certainly interesting, Ashton. We're going to be talking about rebranding coming up soon on the podcast, not to give too much away, but I wanted to end here with one other piece of news before we chat markets for today, and that is looking at the value of farmland prices. According to many rural bankers and the Creighton University's Rural Main Street Index, we have seen farmland remain above growth neutral for 12 straight months. The Rural Main Street Index rose to 67.7 from October's 66.1, which is an index, of course, ranged anywhere from zero to 100. And it's really been a couple of states that have seen that growth the most. Colorado, Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Wyoming have all seen pretty drastic increases month to month here in the value of farmland prices. The big question, of course, being Ashton, when those farmland prices will come out of the quote unquote bubble, and that is anyone's guess. But one thing we don't have to guess about on today's podcast is where markets left us for today. What do you say we hop over and chat markets here quickly before we chat with Angie Setzer? Let's do it. Well, we certainly saw some fresh strength on the board this Monday morning as the December corn contract closed six cents higher to end at 5.76 and three quarters. The March up seven and a quarter cents to close at 5.84 and a quarter. January soybeans today up 11 cents, closing at 12.74 and a quarter. The March up 11 and a quarter, closing at 12.86 and a quarter. Chicago wheat had pretty significant moves to the upside today as well, too, with the December Chicago contract adding 22 and three quarter cents, closing at 8.45 and three quarters. The March up 23 and a quarter cent, closing at 5.47 and a half. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets, we saw strength today across all protein sectors as the December live cattle contract added 90 cents, closing at a buck 34, 42 and a half. The February up a buck 27 and a half, closing at 138.97 and a half. In the feeder cattle pits, that strength continued as the January contract added 77 and a half cents, closing at 161.70. The March in the green 72 and a half cents today, the end at 164.10. And lean hogs pushing higher today as the December contract added 90 cents, closing at 74.65. The February up 55 cents, closing at 83.02 and a half. And lastly, wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures. December down 12 cents today to close at 18.45. The January up a penny to close at 18.99. Without further ado, let's kick things over to today's hashtag Market Monday conversation with Angie Setzer. Well, folks, we are joined once again today by Angie Setzer, founder and partner at Consys ROI to chat markets for today. Angie, I wanted to kick things off here and talk a little bit about the U.S. dollar because we continue to post new highs. I think we posted like a 16th month high today and we're seeing a lot of strength there. Tell us what's going on, what's causing this strength in the U.S. dollar because, of course, that drastically impacts our supply and demand factors when we look at exports. Yeah, traditionally, you know, that would have the the biggest influence you would expect on wheat prices. But today, obviously, the the wheat market had other plans. But it does. It, it definitely impacts our exports. I would say right now, the strength in the dollar is coming at a time, though, that will be really important when it comes to some of these fertilizer imports that we're looking at. 
um, hopefully perhaps kind of dull or soften the blow of, of what we could potentially be looking at, you know, in, in the months ahead comes to that need to, to kind of get some of those fertilizer input imports booked because obviously a stronger dollar makes our buying power a little bit better there, you know, in the, in the world market. But yeah, I mean, at this point in time, we used to do that joke, right? The, the best uh, house in the trailer park or, or whatever. Um, and, and the reality is we are seeing some strength. I mean, the, the biggest thing I would say is, is strength in the dollars coming from uh, weakness, especially um, in the Euro and with European markets. You know, there's a lot of concern out there about what is taking place from a global economic standpoint, you know, especially if we see Europe locked down further. We saw Austria come out on Friday, and that was really what kind of spooked that market lower, um, you know, as Austria came out on Friday and, and said, not only, um, you know, are they going back on lockdown today, but they're looking at making it legally required um, to receive both doses of, of vaccines and, and things of that nature. And so what does that look like from an economic standpoint? Uh, today, we saw um, Angela Merkel come out and say that Germany needed to act um, more aggressively when it comes to, to fighting COVID because they're dealing with their uh, some of their highest incidences uh, per 100,000 people you know, since the, the pandemic started. And so the, the million dollar question, of course, is what does that mean? You know, what are we looking at? We do see Powell uh, renominated as the, the Fed chair again. Um, you know, that should help continue to bolster the economy there, I guess you could say. And, and then we have all kinds of questions about what we're seeing with Chinese economic strength and, and all of those other things. And and that's what make, is making folks invest into the in the dollar. AJ, I want to go back to something you mentioned there, because you said typically when the dollar is rallying like this, we see it reflected in, sw- in wheat prices, especially. But that certainly does not seem to be the case today with, you know, 22 cents on the board in the December Chicago contract, 27 in hard red Dece contract. Big moves today. What's going on? Oh, what isn't going on in wheat? You know, a year ago, wheat was kind of the first uh, um, inflation trade or where wheat wasn't necessarily what you would call the more bullish supply and demand uh, structure, um, you know, and was really getting kind of some of that spillover strength because of what was taking place potentially with Russia or something of that nature. But you look at what's happening in the wheat market now. And, and like I said, what what isn't happening? I mean, we've seen several years in a row now where we've seen a, a reduction in, in global ending stocks and domestic ending stocks. And, and so that's got folks' attention. Um, obviously, you know, if you look at overall global supply and demand, um, we have more than an adequate amount of, of wheat available, and, and we're not running out anytime soon when looking at global stocks. Now, you take China out of the equation and things get a little bit tighter when it comes to, to stocks to use ratio and, and what we have available. And, and so that makes things look a little different. You've got some issues in Australia right now, um, some really heavy rainfall that has caused some damage to quality. And now there's some concern that it could damage quantity. And of course, Australia, you know, Argentina is going to harvest a relatively decent wheat crop, but Australia is really what brings um, the majority of, of southern har- hemisphere harvest um, into the pipeline. And so some concerns with Australia kind of being, they were going to be our savior, right, for uh, new crop wheat after the first of the year. And now they're dealing with issues. Um, you've got the Russian troop buildup along the Ukrainian border. The Kremlin says it's completely harvest, uh, harmless, but I would imagine that most Ukrainians would beg to differ. Um, you know, and, and then you obviously, in addition to that, have uh, food inflation issues in Russia, 
the $78 uh, export tax, some export quota conversations, and China in quietly buying, you know, uh, what's left over of, of French wheat, you know. And so all of these things come together to really kind of create this market hysteria where you're seeing Batif wheat overnight to all-time highs. You're seeing uh, Chicago wheat working its way up towards the, the bottom end of the 2012 range. And, and so you've got a, a lot of really bullish factors at play in wheat. Now, a good friend of mine said the, the most bearish story you'll get is the last bullish one. And so that's just the question is to to when do we factor in all of this uh, sort of bullish, you know, supply and demand structures and some of that stuff. But, you know, honestly, until we can can rectify a lot of these issues, which may not be until early next spring, you know, wheat's going to be the market that that folks are kind of wanting to buy. And, and that's going to help really support um, all of the other markets in, in the meantime. And Angie, with that being said, you know, you mentioned hard red winter wheat and also Chicago wheat today. A close to touching that 2012 range. When where do we see that this thing fizzle out? I mean, where's the top going to be put in, or where's the range you think going to be put in for this top? Oh, we're going to have to. Honestly, at this point in time, I would say that we're going to have to pull a page. And this is my opinion completely, but I mean, I think we're going to have to pull a page out of the 0809 handbook. So the the only thing that really solved inflation in 2008 was a an economic crisis, the mortgage crisis. Um, and so as, as much as I, I hate to say it at this point, I think really the only thing that can cool um, these markets down and, and cool the inflationary talk is going to be a, a good, good old fashioned economic scare. Now, the million dollar question obviously comes into play as to how do you do a good old fashioned economic scare when everyone's too big to fail? And so do we just kind of continue to try to spend our way into this flurry? And so, you know, at this point in time, and, and maybe this is the most bearish everyone should be, because I'm sitting here saying, I don't know when it, it goes down. I don't know when it fizzles. I mean, it's it's going to take an obvious recovery in supply, a, a pretty big one. Um, and that's not something we're going to know until we get to next summer, honestly, midsummer, late summer. Um, and, and really, a lot of people will tell you that wheat acres could be limited. Ontario had a a really poor fall and, and some of these other things. And so, you know, I think really when it comes down to it, the the only thing that'll really kind of pour cold water on this, aside from the fact that high prices eventually destroy, destruct demand and, and incentivize production, you know, but that takes a long time. Um, the only other thing would be if we were to see a, a COVID resurgence or some other um, major global economic contagion, um, develop and and so really honestly until that happens I I don't see you know where we'll see that correction because we've really kind of encouraged a, a whole group of investors and an economic you know structure built on don't worry they'll 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 swoop in and save us if things get really hairy and and so that's where we're sitting. Angie, I wanted to get your quick thoughts here on the soybean complex because we've seen meal continue to push the complex higher. December or January has made a nice little bounce off of their lows put in earlier last week. Where do we go from here? Do we chop sideways for a while or do you think there's room to the upside to move? There's definite potential room to the upside, but I think the majority of what drove meal higher, um, you know, is kind of fizzled to a certain extent. Uh, you know, the, the speculative long position is is back to the longest it's been since May. And, and you know, reality is we're, we're crushing the heck out of beans. So we're not short on supply. You know, we did catch a, a maybe a market that was sleeping or maybe some uncertainty or a, a spike in 
nearby demand that really kind of lit a fire under everything, you know, when it came to that lysine um, supply crunch, which I'm sure everyone's kind of talked about ad nauseum now, you know, with the the shortage in lysine being available, obviously we had to see some, some hog producers, especially kind of transition over into using soybean meal versus using what would be the cheaper distillers um, for sure, just simply because of, of what's required in a hog's ration. And so you saw this big spike in demand there. We're going to see a continued spike in demand when it comes to those that used to feed canola meal um, because the Canadian crop was basically cut in half. You know, So the availability of, of uh, cheap canola is, is out the window. Exports have been good. Soybean meal is, is really one of the few soybean meal and soft red wheat you know, so you can share that at parties if, if you're looking for something to impress the crowd with. But soybean meal and soft red wheat are the only two commodities right now that are really ahead of a year ago when it comes to export um, sales um, pace. And so that's one of the things that we've seen there. I think we'll see a continuation of that simply because of that shortage in canola coming out of can- the Canadian prairies, especially. Um, but soybeans are are going to be led to a certain extent by the products, um, which are really, it's it's an interesting concept to think about just simply because last year it was the products, you know, they're byproducts. And so they're not supposed to be the leader of the market structure, but you're going to see oil remain supported. There's conversation about the Build Back Better, soy oil, I mean, the Build Back Better um, carrying with it this tax credit for uh, green jet fuel, which drives soybean oil demand. And then you'll see meals stay strong, obviously, uh, for the reasons that we had talked about. And so soybean should continue to catch a bid you know, on demand, but I think it's super important to kind of recognize the fact that crush capacity is only so, so big. So even if products are leading beans to higher and, and you know, we are seeing epic demand for soy oil or, or soybean meal, which soy oil is, is up in the air based on what you're looking at with stocks, even in those instances, we can only crush so many beans. Um, and so right now at this point, our biggest concern or my biggest concern is whether or not the amount of beans that we increase from in a crush standpoint from a year ago offset what we're going to be losing in exports because that Brazilian crop's coming off big, it's coming off soon, and it's coming off much cheaper, you know, than what we would traditionally like to see. And, and that is going to be where our dollar, you know, really starts to show an influence, you know, January 15 forward. Um, and so beans are, are catching a bit now and, and they're really kind of jump joining in with the the idea that meal is stronger and oil stronger and, and that everything else is stronger and the ratio is off. You know, but long term, beans probably have the the worst fundamental outlook of of all of the grains. And they're and you really, seeds, yeah. <laughs> and really quickly here, I wanted to get your thoughts too. Kettle on feed report came out on Friday. How do we trade here moving forward? Uh, I agree. I still think that the, that market structure stays supported. I still think feeders get bought. I still, you know, I think that a lot of people are are trying to to figure out a way to get out, you know, of of the cattle uh, fattening business. It seems just because feeders keep getting more expensive, feeding them keeps getting more expensive, and we seem stuck at, at what we can sell them for. You know, even when processors and things of that nature are, are making good cash. But I think from an overall standpoint, cattle on feed report was a, a basic non-event. It came in relatively close to, to what was expected. And, you know, at this point in time, demand remains good. You know, your prices are getting a bit expensive at the grocery store, but at the same time, you know, is the consumer really feeling the pinch there or not? And so at this point, you know, demand seems to be real good at, at the, you know, at the, the home plate and, and, and with restaurants and stuff, you know, obviously there'd be some concern if we do see some, some moves towards COVID shutdowns, 
you know, could that impact restaurant demand and some of that stuff all over again? You obviously want to remain cognizant of that. You know, that is a risk that is that has to remain in the back of your mind. But from an overall standpoint, you know, demand at this point will remain solid. And, and you know, I think you're going to see that market stay supported. Fantastic. Angie, before I let you go, if folks want to interact with you on social media or pick your brain, how can they do so? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Goddess of Grain. Or you can email me at Angie at Consus, C-O-N-S-U-S, R-O-I.com. Fantastic. Well, Angie, thanks again for joining us today. Certainly appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. again there to Angie for coming back on and chatting markets with us today. But like we said earlier, we're only going to have episodes this week on Tuesday and Wednesday for the rest of the week. So be sure to tune into those episodes at agnewsdaily.com. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.